The Bible is a wonderful outdoor book, you may have noticed. And much of the stories of the New Testament take place around the Sea of Galilee. In the Old Testament, the Sea of Galilee was called the Sea of Kinnereth, meaning in that it has a harp-like shape. John calls the sea the Sea of Tiberias. Luke calls it Gennesaret, or simply refers to it as the lake. But Matthew and Mark call this body of water the Sea of Galilee. It's 13 miles long, and at its widest spot, it's 7 miles wide. It's 700 feet below the sea level. The Jordan River forms from the runoff of Hermon in the mountains of Lebanon and feeds into the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And then the river empties out of the south end of Galilee and runs down to Jericho into the Dead Sea. There's something to be said about a person's home water, the water you looked at or fished when you were a little girl or a little boy, the water where you walked hand in hand with your first love and and you watched the moon set on a spring night. It's the place where you feel most at home. It's the place where you can be yourself. Your home water is the backdrop of your life. It's the music that kind of plays in the background of everything you've ever done. And the Sea of Galilee was Jesus, this body of water was, was Jesus' home water Much of Jesus' life and ministry was in a trio of villages that was clustered around the northwestern shore of this beautiful body of water. It was the region of his boyhood and the place of most of his ministry. And it was the place to which he returned before his ascension. It was the beautiful backdrop of much of what Jesus did on earth, the Sea of Galilee. It was a beautiful natural setting, a cooling place. The Sea of Galilee was a place of commerce. It was a place of community. Colorful characters clustered around the Sea of Galilee. Publicans, Pharisees, prostitutes, weary, wounded, troubled people, farmers, fishermen, soldiers, religious leaders, and demonized people, the powerful, the lame, the blind, the poor, they all found their home around the Sea of Galilee, this great lake, Jesus' home water. Many times Jesus would have been out early in the morning before dawn, And he would have seen the dark water turn blue and then gold as the bright sun climbed into the sky. Many a night he would have seen bright stars that were his own finger work reflected on the glass-like surface of the lake at night. His human heart must have quietly watched the sun set on this lake in its purple beauty. Jesus walked on this water. He boated and accompanied fishermen on this water. He slept in a boat on this water. It was there in the middle of in the full Middle Eastern sun um, when violent storms swept over the lake from the west. He was there during those storms. Along those shores, he walked with his friends. Along those shores, he talked with his father. It was there that Jesus called his disciples. He prayed for his disciples there from a cave overlooking the north end of the lake. He fed thousands along his shore. And he returned there, as I mentioned, after his crucifixion and resurrection, walking the miles just to be reunited with his disciples along the shore of this lake. He promised that he would meet them there. And that was the place where he fixed them breakfast for the wandering disciple there on the shore one early morning over an open fire. It was along the margin of this water that that Jesus delivered the man who was brutally oppressed by thousands of demons, and then they invaded the pigs and plunged into this water. When Jesus was rejected in the synagogue, he was followed by multitudes of people from surrounding cities. 
And he pushed out on this lake in a boat to speak to a huge crowd of people that were listening from the shore. And for a whole day, he told them stories, parables, the Bible calls them, with characters that they would understand. According to ancient church tradition, Jesus told these stories in a place called the Bay of Parables. There's a curve in the shoreline there in a natural amphitheater. And the people would have gathered around him there in in this elevated uh, place. He would have been heard by thousands there. A beautiful place. I don't doubt that from where they listened to Jesus, the warm sun on their heads and the waves lapping against the wooden boat and the noisy birds overhead and the gulls calling over the water, that there was a farmer who was sowing seed on a gentle sloping field within sight. And the stories told in Matthew 13, on the same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground. And yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What we have here in chapter 13 of Matthew is the beginning of the third of Jesus' five major talks or discourses in the book of Matthew. And it's interesting because the theme of Matthew is obviously the kingdom. It's clear if you study this, the, the book. Uh, and I want to I show you what we're going to do today. In this, in, as we, we'll talk about the parable of the sower, but let me kind of show you uh, an, an, just an overview of kind of what we're doing. Is We initially here are, are going to talk about the parable of the sower from verses 1 through 9. And then you'll notice that before he gives an explanation of the parable, there's this um, interruption, if you will. There's an explanation that's given about why would Jesus start telling stories here. Because before, though, he had used stories. They weren't the main thing that he did. The main thing that he did was he worked miracles. And at this point, you see a major shift in two things, where Jesus taught and how Jesus taught. Before, Jesus primarily taught in the synagogue. And now there's a big change that's coming, and he's primarily going to teach out of doors. And in other places, before, he, he, he presented himself through a series of mir- miracles, but now he's going to present his truth in a veiled way through stories more likely, more often, much more often. Where he teaches, how he teaches, changes. There's a major shift here. That's, that's what's happening. And, the, and so what we'll do here is kind of four things, one of which we've already done, is we'll kind of introduce this here by talking, by reading the parable of the sower and get the setting of what's going on. And then we'll talk here from verses, uh, I want to explain from verses 10 through 17, 
the, the reason that Jesus spoke in parables, that's what the point of verse 10 through 17 is. It takes those seven verses to explain why Jesus started talking in parables. So it must be important. And we'll talk about why this is important to us. Then we'll talk about the explanation of the parable of the sower. And you'll find that in verses 18 through 23. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about what, is, what does that mean. And then we'll apply that, apply the parable of the sower. That's kind of what we're doing uh, today. You may not think this is going to be particularly helpful to you or relevant to you. It's like, well, it's an, it's an old thing. It's an old story. I just want to remind you, these aren't just any old stories. These are the stories of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. They weren't just given to the people in their time, though they were given to the people in their time. There is that initial audience that Jesus, that were the people that were listening to Jesus. There was a secondary audience, the people not only that were listening to Jesus, but the disciples who followed up on those and asked more more, uh, detail. And then there were the original readers of the book of Matthew, and then there's us as we go down through the ages. But God the Holy Spirit had in mind that we would be sitting in these pews this morning in the very circumstances in which we live. And there's something powerfully helpful about this beautiful story of Jesus, this parable. It's actually one of the few parables that's named, it's called in the Bible, the parable of the sower. And we would probably call it the four kinds of soil, but the Bible actually names it, the parable of the sower, one of two parables that Jesus gave that actually is given a name in the Bible. And I want to remind you that this is a treasure of the church of Jesus Christ. That to understand the main idea that Jesus had in mind, and Matthew had in mind, the Holy Spirit had in mind, in passing this story down to us, will do your soul good. Jesus wants your heart to understand this. I hope you have ears to hear. You understand that? So Matthew, again, here's the beginning of the third major of the five discourses of Matthew. And the theme of Matthew is the kingdom. And the king is presented in chapter 1. Jesus is king because he's from a messianic line, the son of David. In chapter 2, he has visitors, the magi, visitors worthy of the king. In chapter 3, his kingship is confirmed in the affirmation that's given from heaven and the testimony of John the Baptist at the baptism of Jesus. In chapter 4, there's a conflict with Satan over kingdoms. Guess who wins? Jesus wins. In chapters 5 through 7, Jesus gives the principles of the kingdom and he speaks with royal authority. And then in chapters 8 through 10, he has a series of miracles that demonstrate his supernatural power. The king is presented in chapters 1 through 10. But then in chapters 11 and 12, something dark begins to happen. In chapters 11 and 12, then the king is rejected. In chapters 11 and 12 are pronouncements of judgment. And then in chapter 13, which is where we've arrived at in our study of the book of Matthew, you, you have a huge change, a shift that's happening, and an explanation of why this change is happening for the purpose that, God, that God's people wouldn't be discouraged when things are different than what they expect them to be. Think for a minute about what the disciples have been through. He'd sent them out earlier two by two, and they'd experienced his power, and, and miraculous power. They'd followed Jesus. They'd seen his rise to popularity. They watched as he healed people and he, as he cast out demons. He delivered and he taught. 
They, they heard people's conjecture about who he was and when he would begin to take control and, and deliver them from Roman oppression. But then things began to deteriorate in their sight. And we are there with him as this dark cloud of rejection begins to roll in over his ministry. They heard his sharp, fearless rebukes of the religious establishment. And they felt the sting of rejection when his works were attributed to the devil. And they listened when the disciples of John came to question him about who he was and, and if his claims were true. And then now this. He walked away from the synagogue. And they would have been trying to make sense of that. That's the setting of this. His disciples, his, his faithful disciples are trying to make sense of everything that's going on. And he doesn't leave them in confusion But he actually, in this beautiful setting by the Sea of Galilee, gets in a boat and he tells his stories, probably told stories all day, but seven stories, some count eight, seven stories here are specifically recounted. These seven stories are all introduced with the phrase, except for the first one, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus is going to explain to his confused disciples, uh, what is the kingdom of heaven? What can you expect in the kingdom of heaven? This is what your life is going to be like. And by the way, the period of time that he's describing to them is a period of time that we are still in. So what he said to them is very relevant to us too. So while their minds were troubled and confused by these things, Jesus began to speak and he used stories, mashal, parables, uh, stories. He may have spoken all day. In our Bibles, again, we have seven parables or stories Jesus told that day, perhaps an eighth. Some of them, of these stories, he told in public, three of them, and the other four he told in private. Three of them had explanations, four of them had no explanations. I don't know if, it, if, you, if you ever noticed this, but if you read through Matthew 13, over and over again, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. It's like the good people understand what I'm talking about. Right? So, so you read that, and over and over again, maybe 13 times, it talks about listening and hearing. And it implies that people who have good hearts understand. But when you get to the end of Matthew chapter 13, the question that hangs over your head is, okay, I understand the parables Jesus explained, but the other ones I'm not sure about. What does that tell you about me? That's my thinking this week. It's like, Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, you'll understand. At the end, he says to his disciples, do you understand what I'm saying? And they go, yes. I'm like, no. I understand the ones you described, but I'm in, a, I'm in a bit of a fog about the ones you didn't describe. Isn't that interesting? It's fair humbling, isn't it? So it kind of leaves you with a feeling like, God, don't let me miss out on anything. Let me be all ears spiritually. Help me to understand everything you have to explain. I'm so encouraged by your presence here today. Just God's people hungry on the Lord's day, Bible open in your lap, telling God, Feed me, God. Teach me, God. My heart wants to understand. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Is there anything in my life you want me to stop doing? May God bless you that have ears to hear. This is a big deal. It's not the heart of it, but it's, a, it's close to the heart of it. So these are stories about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he would correct and adjust their thinking about what to expect the kingdom to be like. And he would do it by telling these seven stories when he was done, the disciples understood, and others didn't. So again, you have the king presented, and then you have the king rejected. 
the form of, this form of the kingdom within which we find the church, and so we have the church age in the form of within the spiritual kingdom. We understand that according to the Bible, there is going to be a literal and physical kingdom where Jesus Christ returns and reigns and rules on the earth. But there's a form of the kingdom that we're already in. There's a sense in which as a believer, you're already in the kingdom in the spiritual sense. And this is the sense in which Jesus is explaining. He's explaining this now. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says, Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. This is an explanation of this dispensation, if you will. It specifically uses the word dispensation in that passage in Ephesians In other words, to be a Christian means you come into the kingdom spiritually. Let me give you an example, or a proof text, if you will. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. All this love that we were singing about this morning and and. Is, is, is a reference to his redemptive love. It's, it's talking about what happens to people who enter into salvation in Christ. And what the book of Colossians is saying there is, if you are saved, you are in the kingdom. That's what it says. He delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Now this mystery form of the kingdom, what makes it a mystery? It's not like Hardy Boys mystery. It's like something that's in the Old Testament, but not, is not revealed to the prophets initially. And so as you begin to study the Bible and you have the, the progression of the revelation of God as God opens things more and more and makes things more and more clear, this is something that comes into view. You begin to see that Old Testament prophets wouldn't have seen, but that we do see. And Jesus is making this go. This is why it, w- it might have been confusing for people. In other words, if you were thinking that the kingdom was going to be a... Uh, a, a theocracy, uh, a physical monarchy on earth that he was going to overthrow all of his physical enemies and political oppression and all that and immediately begin to reign, that would have been what a lot of people were thinking, then you would be really disappointed when Jesus was rejected by the religious establishment and didn't seem to have that kind of political or military clout. You might even, be, you might even want to give up. You might not even want to follow anymore. You might walk away in disappointment. You might stop doing what is right. You might miss out on the whole kingdom that Jesus is opening up now. You might not step into the kingdom, or you might live ineffectively within it. And this is why Jesus told these stories, so that the people would get a deep, visceral uh, feeling, a sense in their souls, and their minds, and their hearts, not just in their brains, but in their whole being, about what it looks like to be in the kingdom of Christ. And so he gives these stories in that way. And then the Actually, the, the kingdom is offered to the Jews, and in the heart and the mind of God, he knew they would reject it. His plan was to open it to the Gentiles, and we are in that kingdom. So you have a, an overview here. In verses 1 through 23, you have the parable of the sower, which is kind of, if you will, interrupted in verses 10 through 17 by the purpose of the parables, which we're going to get to in a minute. And by the way, just an interesting Thing. If you look at chapter 13, you can find these seven parables, and you can see that they're marked by the little phrase that says, the kingdom of heaven is like. 
But you notice there are a few little places of interruption, like little editorial places. It is interesting, if you compare Matthew and Mark, the synoptics, if you compare the same story, Matthew and Mark, if you're reading Matthew, and you're reading in chapter 13 of Matthew, and you read the parable of the sower, then you have the explanation, or the little insert there, and then you have an explanation. What you need to understand is, if you read carefully the book of Mark and compare it to this, chapter 13, verse 10 through 23, where you have this editorial comment and explanation, that's something that Jesus didn't give publicly. He gave that privately. So in the chronology of it, it goes later. But in the writing, it's here, so we immediately understand when we read it. Does that make sense? In other words, Jesus gives the parable of the sower from the boat, but he doesn't explain the parable of the sower from the boat. He explains the parable of the sower in the house. And later, he's going to give the parable of the weeds, the darnels. He's not going to explain that out in the public, he's going to explain it in the house. It's very important, and we'll explain why later. But you have that parable of the sower, the story of the sower. They have the story of the wheat and the tares. You have the story of the mustard seed, the little short story of the mustard seed, unexplained. The story of the leaven, again, unexplained. And then that little uh, commentary in verses 34 and 35, which is rich and points back to Psalm 78. It's a prediction of Jesus being a special kind of storyteller. When I say storyteller, don't think kind of like weaving kind of a mythical yarn or a fable. It's not the kind of storytelling we're talking about. We're talking about high-octane storytelling. This is Jesus revealing the heart of God, kind of guided, guided missiles against uh, targets of error. This is what Jesus was, all, his stories were always very purposeful and direct. They would always be set in a context where he was answering a question. You ever hear anybody do this? You know, they, you know, it's one thing to answer something directly. Is this true or not true? And the person answers it directly. It's another thing for a person just to kind of sit back and tell a story, and then you get engaged in the story. By the end of the story, it's kind of like, boom, it grabs you by the throat. Jesus was a master of this. There was the story of the leaven, and then there was the story of the hidden treasure in verse 30, 44, the story of the pearl of great price, parable of the pearl of great place. Again, the mustard seed, the leaven, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great place price are not explained in the Bible. But the wheat and the tares, uh, the, the parable of the sower, the wheat and the tares, and the dragnet story are explained in the Bible, and they're explain, explained to the disciples privately. We'll talk about why in a minute. And then the, the parable of the dragnet, I said there's seven or eight. We, we say seven because they're all, there's this kind of a literary device that you can see that they're introduced by the little statement, the kingdom of heaven is like. But if, you, if you're looking for another story, there's one in verse 52, a little short one about the householder. So sometimes people say there are eight parables, but we say seven parables of the kingdom because of the literary structure of them. And we kind of fold the householder thing in. And that's pretty interesting too. It, matter of fact, I'll just like, interrupt my little teaching here by, uh, to, to kind of grab your ear. Should, should the church stay the same or should it change? What do you think? Change. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, well, it depends on what we're talking about, right? Though the kingdom, this, you got to understand, if you look at verse 52, you see that this entire chapter is really about the change that Jesus is bringing, and he doesn't want them to get lost or confused in that change. And so he actually says in, 
in, in verse 52, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. And it's still that way. It's still that way. And we'll, we'll get into more of an explanation than when we deal with that. But it's like, don't get thrown off and think the kingdom of heaven is all new. No, it's not. It's got old stuff too. Don't get thrown off and think the kingdom of heaven is all old. No, it's not. There's something new. And we'll explain what is new and what is old. But it's interesting, isn't it? So that's kind of the sweep of that. In the parable of the sower, verses 1 through 9, you have the parable of the sower. Verses 10 through 17, you have why Jesus used the parables. Verses 18 through 23, you have the parable that Jesus explains. And then I'm going to give you an application here. And we do have to, <laughs> we do have to keep, keep moving. Let me just discipline myself by simply reading through my notes for you on this reason Jesus spoke in parables, because you can talk for hours. As a matter of fact, D.A. Carson, he's a really bright guy and just a real interesting, colorful uh, guy. I think um, uh, he's going to be here in the area in a couple of weeks, and he's actually speaking on this. I've heard him speak on it. I've read what he said about it. It's really interesting. He's studied for hours and hours and hours and lectures for hours on why did Jesus speak in stories? At first, it just seems like, well, it's obvious. He used stories like preachers do to make, you know, to wake people up while they're sleeping, you know, while you're preaching, or so that they would remember things, or so that they would illustrate things, so it would be concrete. And Jesus did that. He was so very good at that. He used stories to sneak up on people. Sure, he used stories to, to surprise people or to sneak up on people with truth. Yes, he did. A lot of reasons Jesus used stories, but some of them are not what we would expect. Again, in Matthew 1 through 12, Jesus presents his kingship through, primarily through miracles, through demonstrations of power. But after chapter 12 and verse 13, he starts to present his, his truth in parables or in stories. So sometimes Jesus um, concealed truth um, in parables as a mercy, and sometimes Jesus concealed truth in parables as a judgment. Let me explain that to you. Sometimes Jesus concealed truth in parables as a mercy. In other words, he used it as a technique to arouse curiosity. That would be a mercy. Say, so, I don't understand the truth. Well, I'm going to tell you a story. Ah, now, you've, now I've captured your attention. It's a mercy that Jesus would do this. He would use this as a technique to arouse curiosity. Somebody that wasn't interested, but if you ask him the right question, guy calls me on the phone. I don't understand what. This is a long ago, far away illustration, by the way. Guy calls me on the phone, and he says to me, my wife left me, and I have no idea what to do. And I say to him, you know, I've noticed there are five different things over the course of my ministry. There are five different things that often, if a guy applies these things, his wife will come back. I can't promise you that she will, but over the course of my ministry, I've noticed five different things, and if a man does these five different things, it's not something I could tell you over the phone, but, it, but if you ever want to get with me, let me know. Click. That guy and I met week after 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 week. I discipled that guy. I poured my life into that guy for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. His wife never did come back, by the way, but he walked with God. He knew God. He walked with God. Why? Well, one of the reasons is because I made him curious. I just said, I got some help, but I can't. Jesus did that. It was a mercy. He captures us. That's the way he is. It draws us in. A technique to arouse curiosity. Jesus tells stories that way. I don't doubt that on the boat. He says this little story, and then he says, with a sparkle in his eye, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Anybody hungry out there? Anybody want to understand that? Anybody want to follow me and follow up on that? He's still doing that today. He also tells to minimize reactions so those who are receptive would have opportunities so things wouldn't blow up. 
So Jesus knows that everybody's his friend, and so he gives a little bit of truth. Sometimes Jesus would say, you know, heal somebody and say, go, don't go tell anybody, because he didn't want them to crown him king or try to crown him king ahead of his time. But now he tells a story, and he doesn't explain all of it because he doesn't want them to kill him ahead of his time either. And so either way, it's like Jesus uses stories because he's very smart, very, very smart. And, and in this case, to minimize reaction, because there are those who are going to receive it. He wants to give them time to receive. He doesn't want to create a kind of a, a, a reaction ahead of time. He's, getting, he's gathering those folk into his kingdom. So it's a mercy that, he doesn't, that he's not explicit, but that he's kind of indirect in his teaching. And then it's a mercy because sometimes he times truth to a time when they'd be more likely to receive it. Sometimes you're just not ready to receive truth. And then other times you are, right? I mean, this is the way it always is. And I trust that you just ready your own heart to receive whatever God has for you. But what is God going to have to do for some of us to really get our attention, to get our heart, and to capture our heart? Sometimes it's going to be difficult, and he'll time that. And then sometimes God, Jesus told stories to conceal truth, and it was just a judgment. And there's no other way to read the passage but that. Now, before I tell you this, I want you to just, now I want you to look at verses 10 through 17, read the passage, and then... I probably have to create an unnatural stopping point and quit. But here, listen to verse 10. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Disciples are going, why, didn't you, why aren't you more direct? Why did you just tell that little story? He answered and said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given And he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. In other words, those of you who got a little bit of truth, and you acted on it, and you were hungry, and you desire, I'll give you more truth. But if you didn't act on it, I take away what you had. Anti-Robin Hood, remember? Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, and they do not understand. He's going to quote from Isaiah 6 now. In every place you find this story in the Bible, they quote from Isaiah 6. It's always going back, saying, we had prophets that told you this before. If they, if they, yeah, a lot of these people had memorized Isaiah. Isaiah 6, and in, in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears have grown hard of hearing, their, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears where they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus is saying another proof that and Matthew is saying another proof that Jesus is God and that they should accept him and you should accept him is that in the Old Testament in Isaiah, it says when he comes, there are people who are not going to listen. And now Jesus is doing that and Matthew is pointing to that and said, see, what I told you this is exactly what I said was going to happen. And this is why. So it's, it's an indirect mercy, you see, for the people to reject him and not listen. It's just another proof that Jesus is who he said he is. And by the way, if you ever notice this, week after week after week, as we go through Matthew, it's like the same thing over and over again. Jesus is the heart of everything. Accepting him, receiving him, listening to him, believing him, loving him is everything. And it matters not what you brought with you today, how hard or how dark or how difficult or how prosperous you are. That's still the heart of everything. Will you hear that is the question. That's why Jesus spoke in parables. And then he explains the parable of the sower. We won't go into great detail, but there's four things. The wayside, the stony places, the thorny, the the seeds sown among thorns, and the good ground. 
And you're very familiar with this. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. And this is he who received the seed by the wayside. Now you have another that's by the wayside. Some will have the seed snatched away. There will be no response when they hear the truth about who Jesus is. No response. Birds come snatch it away. Verse 20, and this is wonderful because now he's explaining it. Again, he's gone into private. He's explained to his disciples what he meant by this parable that he told in the boat. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Oh, that sounds good. Yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Have you ever seen anybody do that? Yeah, we see that all the time. They just like, and you're, maybe you're working and you're serving the Lord and you're so eager to, you know, to influence somebody and then they make a profession of faith. You're like, yes, and they still have joy and you're so encouraged. And then they go away and you're like, I'm going to quit. I give up. This is exactly what Jesus is driving toward. He says to his disciples, I want you to understand what it's going to look like. You're going to sow seed and some of it is never going to be received at all. And when it is received, some of that's going to be false profession or, or that, and it's not going to work. Verse 22, and now he who received the seed among thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, choke out the word, becomes unfruitful. You see, it's kind of like some people are going to re- not receive the word at all. Others are going to receive the word with joy and initially they're going to fall away. They're not going to follow through. They're not real. Others, because of difficulty, because of tribulation, you, you know this, if somebody makes a profession of faith, but they have hardship come, and it wipes them out. Another person makes a profession of faith, and they have ad, you know, prosperity come, and it wipes them out. The deceitfulness of riches and desires of other things, and a, they got to go home and watch NASCAR. It's so important. You know, they got to watch football. They got to be on their fantasy football thing. Let, let the family go to hell. Let the church go to hell. Let the neighborhood go to hell. I got football to watch. Got critters to kill. I got money to spend. You're missing the game. You're missing the real game. You're missing what's really going on. Why did God put that spirit of adventure in us and desire? Because this is the, is the game. But there are people who are going to not receive, and those who do receive, some of them, Jesus is saying, do you realize what's going to happen? This is what the kingdom is going to look like. It's not going to be everybody just gets on the bandwagon. Some are going to completely reject the word. Others are going to receive the word and fall away because of difficulty. Others are going to receive the word and fall away because of prosperity, because of involvements. But then there are others that are going to receive the word and bear fruit. And some of those are going to be a little fruit, and some of those are going to be a lot of fruit. Aren't you glad that's there? Why is that there? My temptation as a pastor is to think, I know why God put that there. That, God put that there so that I can remind people, so I can remind myself, make sure that you are good soil. Be good soil. Be good soil so that you bear a lot of fruit. Well, that's true, but it's not the main reason that's there. That is true, and it's not the main reason why that's there. The main reason the story is there is to help the disciples to understand what the kingdom age is going to look like. He's given that to us so that we, when I was a little boy, my dad taught me a gospel presentation that was almost like a sales pitch. And I'm so grateful that he did that. I mean, it's a beginning, you know. It's a beginning. But he, told me a go- he taught me a gospel sales pitch that he trained me so well in this gospel sales pitch that I could give it when I was eight years old. 
I remember places at eight years old, my friend Steve Strunk, kids on the street on 10th Street in Newark, Ohio, on the front porch of my grandpa's townhouse there. I remember sitting and taking them, a kid at Xavier University, a college student at Xavier University. I'm eight years old, he's 18, and I take him through this little because my dad taught me the questions to ask, what to say when they say this, what Bible verses to give. It's not a bad idea. It's kind of a beginner's course in giving the gospel. My dad taught me that. And I will tell you, I did that faithfully and obediently, and I knew what questions to ask to get you started. You know, you've, you've probably been taught that too. It's not bad. And I would give that little sales pitch of the gospel, if you will, that little, it's kind of like you horn people into the right, you know, into the corner where they have to, you know, and it's not all bad. But I noticed as a child and as a young man, and I'm kind of outgoing that the more aggressively I did that, that a lot of times people would say the right words, and I could not wrestle them into the baptistry. They would not follow God. And so what did I do? I quit. Do you understand? This is exactly what Jesus is trying to say. This is the heart of what Jesus is saying. Don't expect in the kingdom age for everybody to just get on board because you, you saw it and you believe it and it's so wonderful to you. Don't expect them all to believe. Don't expect them all to believe now. And don't expect everybody who looks like they believe to be a real believer. And don't expect everybody who believes and bears fruit to bear the same amount of fruit. He's saying, don't be discouraged. Keep on sowing. Keep on listening and hearing with your own heart. But keep on sowing and never, never stop sowing. That's what he's saying. Never stop, even though things are going to get hard. That's the idea of it. I have a friend named Phil. I spent a lot of time with Phil a number of years ago. And you know, you kind of years and years ago, and I spent like hours discipling this guy meeting him at 5 o'clock in the morning once a week forever, calling him in Luskin, called him every morning at 5 o'clock for a year. Loved this guy and worked with this guy. And we moved away and we lost touch and years later connected on Facebook. And my question is so, Phil, about all that time I spent with you, did it do any good, you know? And he'd been through some hardship. But he's walking with the Lord. And on my Twitter feed not too long ago, this thing pops up. This girl starts following me on Twitter. Chelsea, Phil's daughter Chelsea, follows me on Twitter. I follow her back. It's a delight. Every time my phone, there's a, every time Chelsea tweets, it's about Jesus Christ. And then I think to myself, you know, I didn't waste my time. I didn't waste my 5 o'clock in the morning meeting with Phil, who really kind of had a start and stop kind of <laughs> slow-motion Christian growth, to be very honest. It wasn't a waste. There's so much I want to say about this, and I must stop, and we, we, we will come back. Please understand this, though. How does this boil down into, you know, our church, your life? Do you see this? Do you see it? There are still people out there who, over everything else in the world, they need to take hold of the seed of the truth of the word of God, who Jesus really is, and that would change everything in their life. That's, there's still people all over like that, here and out, especially outside of here. Everywhere we look, there's still people. And you and I, let's be honest, our number one enemy is discouragement. And con- I, 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 confusion, what are you doing, God? I give up. I tried, I invited people, they didn't come. I told them the gospel, they didn't get it. I preached and I taught them and I asked, I pleaded, I begged and I prayed for them, but it just didn't work. I don't know what to do, God. It doesn't seem like it's working. It seems like the devil's winning. He said, no, that's not true. There are four kinds of soil. And the good soil, there are different kinds of people. 
You don't ever stop. This is what the kingdom age looks like. We're in the kingdom, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I was in a bookstore yesterday. I do that a lot. Ran into a guy from India. Jotted his name down. I don't have it with me. I'll tell you. You'll, you'll meet him maybe. He, he was a student at, at Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. He's from India. And I said, how are your studies going? And he said, I'm almost done. I said, what are you going to do then? He said, I'm going to go back home to India. I said, what are you going to do in India? He said, I want to start churches. I said, how are you going to do that? He goes, I'm not going to wait around here and raise money. He said, I went to the University of Michigan to study something. I forget what he told me. Biology or something. So that I can get a job. So that I can go back to my country. And so that I can start churches and win people, Lord, and start churches. How are you going to do that? I said, he said, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to get a job. I'm going to get a house and get in a neighborhood. I'm going to start influencing people. I said, would you come to our church and talk about that? He said, I'd be happy to. You'll hear from him. Now, friend, that's what it's about. Not just in India, but in your neighborhood. You got pagans in your neighborhood. We send missionaries to Africa, but we got African people all around us that are precious to Jesus. We send missionaries to, we can send missionaries to many Arab lands. We have precious Arab people that live all around us. Do we love them, cherish them, desire to see them understand about Jesus Christ? You understand, in, if you lived in central Ohio today, you would not answer to God for what we're going to answer to God for. You wouldn't because there aren't a bunch of people, a bunch of Arab folks around you that are precious to Christ. Your next door neighbors, imagine that today was the end. And they were to say to him, no one ever told me this. What would it be like? You have loved ones, family members, you're waiting for some pastor to come and deal with them. But you're the one they love. And you never looked them in the eye with a trembling lip and said, will you believe in my Jesus? I'm just, I'm, I'm not trying to make you inordinately guilty, although guilt is probably appropriate here in some cases. What I'm saying is trying to do what Jesus said. He told this series of stories in order that his disciples would understand what he was doing and not be discouraged even when the results didn't seem that good. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. My, my grandpa, he pastored his little church in Linville, Ohio. A little tiny Tiny, tiny crossroads. You can look it up even today. I look it up on Google Earth. Everyone wants to look at it. Remember. Tiny little white church like you would spin past every, wouldn't, wouldn't even notice it. He, he farmed and he worked in a factory and then he and grandma, for, for years, it didn't have indoor plumbing, indoor toilets. It, it had his and hers outhouses it was kind of a double-wide thing. The girls were close to the church, the guys to the outside. Um, cuts down on people walking out when you're preaching because it was not that lovely out there. But they, they would get, Grandma and Grandpa would get a jug of water to take out to the church. And they would drive to the beautiful countryside south of Newark through central Ohio, over rivers and through forests and over hills, just gorgeous country. And then they would preach in this little church a number of folk, 40, 50, 60 people on a really, really good Sunday. And they would, uh, they only had the Sunday morning service. Sunday night, Grandma and Grandpa would get up and, and they would get dressed and they would go back in town somewhere else. They'd go to Maple Avenue Church or sometimes the Baptist Temple in Newark there. And folks knew them. And then on Wednesday night, they would drive back out again. They would have a little prayer meeting. 
Tuesday or Thursday night, my grandfather would drive out. His way of trying to evangelize, would, he would just take his car, he would drive out there on Tuesday night, and he would just go from house to house to people he'd never met before. And he would walk up to their doors. He would knock on the door. He'd introduce himself, and he'd try to engage them in a gospel conversation. And you can imagine that kind of work is kind of low return. You know, a lot of people are like, no thank you, not buying, go away, no thank you. How many no's, I wonder, and how, how many dogs chased him off, and how many people turned him down? Most of them. Most of them. Every once in a while, somebody would let him talk to him for a while. And Grandpa told me, he said, sometimes when I would lead someone to the Lord, they would come visit our church, but they would usually have teenagers or children, and if they went on for the Lord, they wouldn't go to our church. They would go in town to a big church. And so the church stayed about the same size, and Grandpa just plugged away at that. I don't know if that was the most effective thing he could have done or not. I just know he was faithful. Years later, I pastored in the area, and on a Sunday night, I went down to Newark to the Baptist Temple to visit. Standing in the foyer, guy comes out, shakes my hand. I said, I'm Ken Pierpont. He just stopped and went, you're Ken Pierpont? I go, yeah. He said, well, is your grandpa Ken Pierpont? I said, that's right. He said he led me to the Lord. Well, I um, some someday um, we'll talk a lot more about this, and I have been undisciplined in my use of time today. But I'll talk a little. I have so many things I want to tell you. Here's the way I feel as a pastor: I could preach and love people, go visit you in the hospital, and help you when your loved ones die, and encourage you with your kids. And I want to do all of that, and and we do as pastors. We could we could just kind of go along and do church and keep, be nice and say nice things and, and just kind of coast from week to week. But I, I sort of feel like this is such a wonderful church. This is such a wonderful church. We have the riches of God's word. We have the heritage of this beautiful hymnody in these songs, this heritage of Christianity that's so beautiful to us, so meaningful, so helpful to us. And you, you, you know most people out there don't have the foggiest idea what this is all about at all. And they are not going to come. And you see what I'm saying? Is, and and i got to stop here. But in the parable of the sower, Jesus tells a story about a guy who's out on the hillside and he's going like this with the seed. To get out of a bag, and that's the word broadcast comes from. He's throwing the seed out. What we've gotten used to doing is saying to people, we've got some great seed. You want to come and get some? We'll, we'll be meeting at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, and there will be a big pile of seed in one place. And you can come and get it. And if you don't come and get it, well, go to hell, you know. Just the way it works. Well, you look shocked. We, we should be shocked about that. That's what we're saying to people. We're saying on the neighbor guy over there, I'm not going to walk over and sit down and drink coffee with you and give you some seed. You're going to have to come to our meeting. Otherwise, you're going to have to go to hell. And, and we'll talk a lot about this. And then Wednesday night in the summertime, we're going to do something different this summer. And we're not going to have a standard prayer meeting. We're going to break up into uh, little elective groups. And the different pastoral staff members and teachers are going to take little, so you'll have little options 
Maybe one of the things I'm thinking about doing is, uh, for some of you that would like some specific training on this, to, to give some specific training to you all on Wednesday night during that time, there'll be some other things, but that won't be the only way that we do it. One of the reasons that we're talking now about, in our church, about everybody getting a prayer partner is, is so that you would pray, so that you, as you pray together, then the Lord will put on upon your heart about how to expand your circle of influence and reach your circle of influence, and that little groups would grow out of that, and little clusters, little, little platoons and teams of obedience would come out of that so that we would not be discouraged in this time. So in other words, our church wouldn't just do nice things that we do and keep us happy and kind of a few good things happen for those that gather in, but that we would take this wonderful seed and just get it out. And, and, I'm, and I'm gone. Let me pray with you, and then we'll, we'll go home, all right? Oh, stand with me for prayer, and we'll, we'll, we'll let you get going, because... Uh, I don't apologize for the Bible or Jesus. I apologize for me. But everybody wants, everyone wants to people, somebody tell me, don't apologize for taking too long. I say, well, if I apologize, it's not the Bible I'm apologizing for. Jesus, I'm it's my own, it's my own, yeah, it's myself. And, and so I do. I love you. I appreciate your patience. This is what we, uh, let's, let's pray and ask God for special insight and help and understanding. Lord, I um, thank you for this beautiful series of stories that you told you're wise beyond our understanding. You gave us these stories to lay in our soul for years that people would be, these are some of the most beautiful stories known to mankind, some of the most popular stories on earth, and certainly the most powerful stories ever told by any man. And, and the heart of this one is that, Lord, that you don't want us to give up but keep on spreading out the seed and help us not to give up, as tempting as that gets. Now, Lord, I pray your blessing on those who've gathered in your name. And for those that are outside of Christ and have no idea what it means to take their sins and, and to confess their sins, and, Lord Jesus, for you to forgive their sins on the basis of what you did by dying and shedding your blood on Calvary, being buried and rising again, I pray that they would yield to you, hear your truth, yield to you, and follow you. But for the rest of us, I pray that you, in our own unique ways, would show us ways this week in which we can sow the seed of the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray.